Howdy, 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 howdy. Welcome everybody here in person and online. Glad you guys are joining us. I am blessed to be here and it's good to see you guys. Let's start with some shouts. What do we do? We love God and we love others. So what do we say? I love God and I love you. I, uh, I genuinely actually do love you guys and I'm so glad you're here. I get to look out and see uh, all your amazing faces and it just brings such joy to my heart. Every time I see you, Every time uh, we get to interact as a church and be together. And uh, I'm also so stoked by your dedication to God. In, uh, week in and week out, your faithfulness in serving, your faithfulness in attending and, and being part of this church. And so I'm so thankful for that. Um, I really do love God and I really do love you. And so glad you're here this morning. Uh, we're in this uh, brand new uh, four-week series called uh, Jesus Objects. I mean, Jesus Objects. You know, you know. I was saying that word over and over, like, objects, objects, and then I was, I'm not high, but, you know, I was like, objects, objects, how's it supposed to sound? Like, I can imagine if someone was high, they would be, like, super confused by Jesus' objects or objects, but he, these are Jesus' objects, where we're going to look, where Jesus uses some objects to, to prove a point or to uh, highlight a spiritual reality, and so that's what we're going to be looking at uh, over the next four weeks. Now, they're going to come in the same sequence, and so this is going to be kind of cool. What we're going to see is we're going to see a setup, then we're going to see the object, then we're going to see the point of the thing, and then the proper response. So, so setup, object, point, and response. And we're going to see that each week for four weeks, so it'll be a little bit consistent, kind of cool. Um, I think this series is going to be a total blast. I think it's going to be a total a blast, and so I'm excited. So uh, we're going to check out our first one, and it's going to come from Jesus. Uh, as Jesus objects in Matthew chapter 19. Now, this one is really famous, so uh, it's not going to catch you by off guard. You're like, what? I've never heard of this kind of thing. So this one is uh, pretty famous. Here we go. In Matthew chapter 19, here's the, the setup. This guy comes to Jesus in Matthew 19, 16. Just then a man came up to Jesus and he asked him, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what's good, Jesus replies. There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Well, Jesus replies, you shall not murder, shall not commit adultery, shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony on your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. And that guy's like, yeah, all these I have kept, the young man said. But he knew inside. He said, what do I still lack? And Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. So this guy comes to Jesus. He's got great motive. He wants eternal life. That's amazing. That's awesome. He's on the right track. He's asking spiritual questions. He said, Jesus, how can I get eternal life? That, that's the goal. The goal of life is to get afterlife in heaven, not afterlife in hell. That's the goal. So he's got, I got the right motive. He asks an excellent question. Now his question is slightly off and Jesus doesn't address it till directly. And we'll see this a little bit later. But he says, what good thing do I need to do to get this eternal life? And so Jesus says, well, what do you mean by that? What are you talking about good things? And then he lists some off. Now, there were some areas that were easy for this guy to give to God, and we see it in the passage. He said, well, I, I don't murder, I don't commit adultery, I honor my parents, and that sort of stuff. They were easy to give God, and he's willing to do so. And this is true of us as well. 
There's certain areas which I absolutely don't mind giving over to God. There's certain areas in my life that are not an obstacle at all between me and God, like uh, the don't murder one. Not a problem at all. I, I don't mind not murdering people. It is not a, it's not a big stumbling block for me. It's not something that's in my way with my relationship with God. No, not murdering, no big deal. Something like embezzlement. Not interested. I, I actually uh, don't like money. Uh, I don't like money probably to a fault. So I give it away. I don't care about it. You know, like, I don't care if I earn a lot. I don't care if I have a lot. Like, I actually don't care about money. So embezzlement's never been like, ooh, I can't wait to figure out how to embezzle money from the church or something. Like, it's just never been on the radar for me. So it's easy to give God the things that we don't care about anyway. Right? So I'll, oh, sure, God, I'll give you that don't murder thing. No problem. Because I don't care about it. The hard part is giving God something that we do care about. Something that we feel like we need, whether we need it or not. We feel like we need it. Something that we actually love or we love to do. And that's the hard part. When I, when I look back at my spiritual journey to Jesus, and I ask, what were the obstacles in my way from giving something up and then saying yes to Jesus completely. The biggest obstacle in hindsight as I look at my life was my inability to trust. And I had trust issues for all sorts of reasons. Some my fault, some not my fault. Life kicks your butt sometimes when you're young and then you sort of get hurt and distrustful. And that's the place I found myself. And so uh, I had an incredibly tough time overcoming trust issues. And when it came to God that you should trust him with your life and trust him with your soul and and there's a lot of trust stuff going on, you know, and I was like adverse to trust, and so it was a problem for me. I didn't trust anyone on this planet, so how could I possibly trust a God who I cannot see? I wanted to stay in control. I wanted to be the captain of the ship because I didn't trust anyone else to captain the ship, to be in control. Shoot, I, I know all from when I was young I wanted heaven, but I just wanted it on my terms. And the man in our verse is the same way. He's willing to give up the easy stuff, but still had a block. He wanted heaven, but only at expense of the easy, not of the hard. So Jesus gives him an answer to his question. Quite simply, Jesus says, you want eternal life, you've got to do two things. Now, he wasn't expecting two things. He was expecting just tell me what to do, one command. But Jesus actually gives him two. He can't even get past the first one. He says, what you need to do is you need to give up your money and then follow me. He says, the, quite, the, the answer is quite simple. Remove the obstacle that is blocking you from turning your life over and following me fully and completely. The, and the answer is the same for us and it's the same for every non-believer on this planet, person who's lived here. Remove whatever keeps you from following Jesus and then follow him wholeheartedly. That's the path to eternity. That's the path to salvation. But we can't. See, that's the rub. It's not just difficult, but on our own, by our own strength, with our own ability, it's actually impossible. You can't get over your own obstacles. And so we get to the object lesson. Here's the object lesson. Then Jesus says to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier. So how hard, Jesus? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. That's worrisome. He says the rich 
cannot go to heaven. Full stop. And that's a problem for us because, like it or not, everyone in this room, if you're listening, that means you have internet access. You are the rich. The Bible says you cannot go to heaven. And that's a problem because I want to go to heaven. We 100% are the rich. And you're like, oh, I'm not rich. If you ate within the last two days and you're not fasting for fun or a diet or for spiritual reasons, but if you ate in the last two days, you're part of the rich. And Jesus says it's easier for a camel to fit through this. I got a little, I got a little needle there. I don't know if it's your eyesight getting bad. If you just go like this, it'll, like, you could expand it. Okay, there we go. I bought, this is the biggest needle you could find on the internet, 12 inches. Like, you're a little bit bigger for you in the back. You're like, some of you are getting real old. Zoom. Okay, we grew that one. There we go. Now it's the right side. So Jesus says it's easier to go through the eye of the needle. Eyes are like, you know, that's where the, the thread goes. Oop, I lost that little one. Oh, well. Be safe, praise Ben. Freddie, when you come back up here, just be careful. It's somewhere. I think it's right. Oh, there it is. Jesus, I can't even pick it up, it's too small, so I'll use the medium size. Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to be saved. And I was like, well, how impossible is that? So I did some measurements, and I got uh, the, the sewing needle, it's about a millimeter. The eye of the needle is about a millimeter. Uh, a camel is over eight foot tall. I had to Google that, because i you know, I only seen a camel once or twice in my life. So Google tells us that camels are eight feet tall. So a uh, camel's about 2,500 times bigger than the eye of the needle. It's not even a remote possibility that that could happen. There is no way that a camel is getting through the eye of a needle. Now, some people have said that there's a gateway in Jerusalem called the needle's eye, and that's what Jesus is talking about. No, there wasn't. There's zero evidence of such a thing. That's actually just an internet rumor, if ever you heard that. It is not true. There's no place in Jerusalem called that. Some people say that there's this like special exit in a city where someone could like secretly escape, but it would only be one at a time, and it was a small exit. Nope, not again. No, no such thing in all of antiquity. That's just plain false. Now, some say that the word Jesus means is actually a sewing needle, literally, and only. And yeah, that, that that's the correct one. <laughs> it is literally only a sewing needle. That's what the word means actually sewing needle to sew things. And so those people are correct. But what was the point? The point was, he said, hey, it is impossible for the rich to get into heaven. But the point isn't just to hate on the rich people because what Jesus is saying is that person's riches were his block. His riches were the, the thing that was keeping him from following Jesus completely. And so Jesus says, do two things. Remove the block... For him, it was riches. And then follow me. Now, the disciples understood that he wasn't just talking about money. Because look at what they say that will reveal the point. Here's what they say. Here's the point of this thing. The disciples say this. When the disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished. And they asked, well, if that's the case, who could be saved? And Jesus looks at him and he says, with man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Note the disciples' reaction, which help us understand that Jesus isn't only talking about the love of money. Because those disciples aren't rich. 
So they're like, well, who could be saved then if this is, if this is what's necessary? And they're like, look, if that's your standard, then who can possibly get in? And the gut punch, in, uh, the gut punch is nobody can. No one can earn eternal life. No one can be a good enough person. Remember the guy's question is, what good deed can I do? And the answer is, there isn't any. You can't go to heaven. Full stop. It's impossible. You can't follow enough commands. You can't pray enough or give enough or act right enough to get into heaven. That's why Jesus' answers to the disciples' dismay, who could get saved? That's why it's so beautiful. Because the answer is nobody can get saved. It's impossible, but God can do the impossible. You can't be saved, but God can save you. God does the impossible. He takes the proverbial camel and fits it through the eye of the needle. In my life, it took a little while, but God showed me that he was worthy of trust, that I didn't have to fear that he'd hurt me or let me down, that God had, had a hold of me, that he, he's got me, and I couldn't fall out of his hands, and he wouldn't betray me, and he wouldn't cause angst or trouble or sorrow to me. And God did the impossible, and he helped me to let go of the block that I had. Mine was trust. This guy had riches and then to trust Him. In God and God alone, the impossible is possible. So the next time you think that like it's impossible for my Uncle Nick to become a Christian, or like it's impossible for that co-worker to say yes to Jesus, or I think it's impossible that my, my stepmom would become a believer, remember that you're actually right, it is impossible. But God handles the impossible on the regular. God does the impossible all the time. For each and every single one of you who is here today as a follower of Jesus, it was impossible for you to become a Christian. It was impossible for you to get to heaven. Yet, here you are. With God, all things are possible. I think about one of our dear friends, this incredibly faithful guy you guys know at church, uh, Drew Kim. I think we're all familiar with who Drew is. Uh, Drew's someone that a lot of us look up to. He's pretty fantastic uh, as a believer. It's someone who uh, I think we would consider a really solid, faithful sort of Christian man. It seems that he's always been a Christian man. But do you know that Drew spent the majority his, of his life as a non-believer? It's hard to think, I know, that, but, but it's true. And that's why it's so amazing now. But he didn't become a believer until he was past midlife. It was like as an as a adult, adult, not even like college, post-college. It was like adult, adult, adult. Past midlife, he becomes a believer. Can you imagine the people who are praying for this like middle-aged, lifelong agnostic slash atheist? You know, depends on his mood. <laughs> that, that's impossible, right? This guy's like, you know, in his 40s. There's no way he's going to come to Christ. His whole life, he's been an agnostic. It's impossible. Yet here he is one of our most faithful and amazing Christian followers that I know around. God does the impossible on the regular. So if God can save sinners, change eternal destinies, then is anything out of his reach? Is 
any needle eye too small or is any camel too big? No. As followers, there's more available than we can even imagine. Let's see that in the disciples' reaction to the proclamation. Here's the reaction. Peter answered him, We left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Now, Peter's statement is a little bit selfish. <laughs> you know, I, I had a higher standard in my mind for Peter, but I probably shouldn't have. He's a regular guy. He's like, yeah, that wretch man walked away, but Jesus, I'm still here. I'm standing here. I, I've given up everything to follow you. What's in it for me? He's like, what am I going to get out of this? And, and he goes, forget about that rich guy. So honest, a little selfish, but honest, right? He said, I'm not like that rich guy. I believe. I did leave everything. I, God allowed me to get past my block and to follow you. We're a, we're, you are our 100%, Jesus. We stepped out in faith. So what happens to those of us who are all in for you? And this is, I think, what the position that we find most of our church members. Most of you who are listening this morning, God helped you overcome whatever that block was, and you said yes to Jesus, and you gave him your life completely. The position many of you find yourself here this morning is one where you are following God, where you have made choices to honor God and and it might have cost you even money and prestige. It could have cost you some of your friends. It's cost you stature even. But you've made a decision to follow Jesus. You do give your all for him. You've held nothing back. And, and you offer everything to God. Well, if that's where you find yourself this, point, uh, this morning, here's the second point. The first point was no one could get into heaven except through God. And God does the impossible. But there's a second point that Jesus makes. The first was for non-believers. The second is for believers. Non-believers have hope because God can do the impossible. But for what about for us who God has already done the impossible? Like Peter, I say, what's it for us then? And here's what Jesus says. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me, You'll also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father, mother, or wife or children or fields for my sake, they will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But the many who are first will be last, and the many who are last will be first. So Jesus says, even if you sacrifice in this life, there's an eternity to come. And you're going to be like a hundred times up in there. You sold a property you gave to the church, let's say, just like Barnabas did, and, and, and you sacrificed some of your money. God's like, don't worry, I got you, fam. It's like noted. The check is on its way. The package is in the mail. Delivery date, heaven. I don't know when your delivery date. It's like whenever you die, right? So delivery date is, is waiting for you. The package is at the door. It's in heaven. God says, I have got reward for those who follow me faithfully, who have gotten rid of the block. Yes, I did the impossible. And then you say yes to Jesus. There's a reward for you. Your sacrifice and faith choices have a positive reward, just like poor choices have a negative consequences. Now, we follow Jesus because we love him, not to get something from him. But, but, just like in real life, when my kids do something that's genuinely loving or sweet or cute or nice. When my kids genuinely care about my wife and I, it causes something in us. Like, 
like my daughter, she'll, she'll be like, oh, Dad, I just wrote you this card and drew a picture or something. I will do it. What do you want? I'll give you anything. What do you like? You know, like, I'll do anything for you. Sometimes, like, one of our church kid, kids will come up and they'll, they'll say, oh, Best Sam, I drew you this. And there'll be, like, picture and it says Best Sam. And I'm going to cry. The like, kid, what do you want? I will buy you any toy. I will do anything for you. Not to bribe them or buy them off, but because I'm so stoked by their love and care for me. And that's how God says it. God's like, oh, I want to give you so many good gifts. My kids are nice to me, and not to get something, but they're genuinely nice to me when they are. Now they're going to be really nice after church, and they'll be like, hey, Dad, can I get some, something? Yeah, if it's genuine. I don't even care if it's like half genuine. I'll take it, you know? <laughs> and then I'll give you some good gift. My wife and I try to figure out, like, oh, what can we plan? How can we prepare? What gift could we give? What would be fun? How can we build them up and bless them when they genuinely honor us? And so that's how God looks at us the same way. Yeah, you're not, you're not doing... Uh, good, you're not being faithful in order to earn heaven or, or to earn God's reward, but, but when you do, God does reward you. He looks for ways to bless you. And so to all who give up something willingly to God, sacrifice maybe your time, sacrifice your money, you're here at church, you know, sometimes early, earlier than you want to be on a Sunday, you choose his eternal kingdom over your temporary castle, you love others even when you want to punch them, you know, this week we were in going to McDonald's to get an ice cream at 8.30 at night. It was packed. I don't know why. Everybody else wants ice cream at 8.30 at night from McDonald's. And then uh, we couldn't get in the drive through so we're waiting sort of in the street part. And you have to leave a gap so the other cars can go. And I'm sitting there, sitting there, sitting there. And then a car comes behind me. And then it pulls into the lane beside me, but that's the opposite lane. And then after a space comes up, he like, zoops right in front of me. I'm like waiting to, I'm leaving the line space, the space open so like people could go through. And I was like, oh, come on now, my wife and girl, they're in the car. I was like, ah, you Teslas, you all arrogant Tesla drivers. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you know what? This is a perfect time. I was like, Jesus, I pray you bless those Tesla people. I pray they have a great night tonight. And I, you know, I really flipped it. I knew this was coming in the sermon today, so like, I was like, that was like on Thursday, I think. You know, so I was like, no, no, God, bless them. Maybe they're in a rush. They had to get that Fanta soda. They ordered like a soda. Maybe they, you know, had some, like, you know, there was like a heart murmur, and that will help calm their heart murmur. And God saved them with the Fanta soda that they ordered. It could be, you know, I don't know. And so I chose to, you know, I chose to not hate, not be angry, not be jealous of their, you know, Matt Gray. Tesla looked pretty sharp, but uh, just let it go, blessed them, moved on. And so God says, you know, uh, you live my way, not your own way. You follow what I do, not what you want to do. You listen to my word. You try to honor me the best that you can. He says, I noticed that. I noticed that, and, and I've got good stuff waiting for you. Not because you did it, but because I love you. And I love when you do that kind of stuff. And there's a reward waiting for you. And, and I think that that's where we find ourselves. Most of you folks, I look around at you. I know you sacrificed to be here. I know you sacrificed to, you know, all the praise team comes so faithfully week after week after week. Booth team's in the back and nobody even notices them ever unless it doesn't work. Then everyone looks back all angry and, you know, like week after week, faithfulness. You guys come and you show up and, you join small groups and you go to these kind of things. And, and, and this is the place we find ourselves. God, you saved us. You took away that block. You did the impossible. And we're trying to follow you. What's in it for us? Like, right? <laughs> but in a good way. God says, yeah, I noticed. And don't worry. I got you. 
don't worry. Whatever sacrifice you made, whatever, whatever difficulty that you had to go through to get to me, I promise you I'll make it worth it. I promise you that the, the check's in the mail waiting for you. Due date, stamped date, death day for you. Bad for your family, great for you. You'll be in heaven, you know. <laughs> but he says there is something good for you. God's watching. He's pleased with you. And I want you to hear that and know that, that God is actually pleased with you and has an excellent surprise waiting for you when you get to heaven. What a joy, what a delight to know that even though things seem impossible, we have a God who does the impossible. We follow a God who is gracious and generous and has an incredible reward for those who push their chips all in with Him. Now, would you take a moment to just ask yourself, whether you're here or online, if you're the rich man or you're the disciple, is something holding you back from God's possible? Something holding you back from God's blessing? If so, let it go and follow Jesus. For those of you who are and have been following God, just take a moment and smile. It's okay. Not every Sunday has to be a guilt Sunday. Some Sundays could be a blessed Sunday. Sunday some Sundays you could say, God, I... I am following you, and I do love you, and I'm so stoked that there's a reward. It's not, I'm not doing it for that, but I'm stoked by you, God. And just be thankful that he has good plans for you. Whatever place you find yourself in, just pause and take a moment. Think about it, pray about it, and then we're going to worship.